following podcast is a Jill Divine Media production. Christianity has become known for judgy people, strange words, ancient stories, confusing rules, and a members-only mindset. This is why I stayed away from the church for so long, but it's not supposed to be that way. I'm Jill Devine, a former radio personality with three tattoos, a love for a good tequila, and who's never read the entire Bible. Yet, here I am hosting a podcast about faith. The Normal Goes a Long Way podcast is your home for real conversations with real people using real language about how faith and real life intersect. Welcome to the conversation. Well, hey everybody, it is good to be back. It has been many episodes since I've been on the podcast, but uh, I hope you've enjoyed the conversations we've been having, this series of stories that we've had on Normal Goes a Long Way. I've loved getting to hear some of the people we've had on, and when I heard that we were doing a stories-focused season, one person that came to mind was someone that I've heard a lot about through my wife, Jessica. Uh, Her name is Gina, and Gina, how about I let Gina tell you her own story to you herself. <laughs> Gina. I was, was going to say, uh, shit, Gina happens to be here. <laughs> Gina's went, here with hey, us. Hey, I'm right yeah. here. I'll talk. No, yeah. I'm just fine. Uh, yeah. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Gina. Um, um, yeah. Well, yeah, uh, just like on the surface, I'm um, a mom and, and married and uh, have three kids. Uh, but I do, my full-time gig is hanging out in prisons. I, I tell people I go to prison a lot. And if you ever want to go to prison, I can tell you how to get there. Um, tried it a couple different ways. But, yeah, I do a prison ministry. We also have uh, a recovery center. So I, I run an organization called Beauty for Ashes uh, Ministry. And you, the, the connection between my wife and Gina is that Jessica served in this prison ministry with Gina and did so for I don't know, a year, two years, uh, it, a yeah, while. Yeah. I was a huge passion of hers. Yeah. And when I first met her, I saw it in her Instagram bio that she did prison ministry. And uh, someone who's bold enough to share the gospel in that environment, uh, I was like, cool. Uh, <laughs> maybe she should be my wife. <laughs> and uh, anyways, but then I got to know her story more yeah. and hear, you know, she said, Gina was the one that plugged me in. She runs this thing. And so I just, I've been wanting to have this conversation for so long. Yeah. So now here we are. Oh, that's awesome. Is prison ministry exactly the way it sounds? Is it that you are going into prisons and you are talking about God? Um, for us, uh, it's a longer story <laughs> uh, and, and maybe a little different. Like the Lord has called Beauty for Ashes to be a specific thing in the prisons. Um, so just to give a background on that, I, I this came out of my own personal journey and uh Grew up in church, grew up in, um, I mean, grew up in church. And ministry is the family business in my business, in my family. Um, so it was a surprise when uh, I, well, ended up in college, ended up smoking weed, ended up selling weed, although I never called myself a drug dealer. I was just helping people out. It's the servant heart in me. It's really <laughs> what that was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, helped out an undercover cop. So apparently mm. you're supposed to ask first. I did not. Um, so anyway, uh, first time ever in trouble, quarter bag of marijuana, which now you can buy at the store in mm. Mer- Missouri. So weird. Um, I ended up going to prison for that. So um, first time ever in trouble. The, and so I knew, say I grew up in church and I grew up knowing that God does speak to us, um, which some people may not understand what that means, but it's kind of that gut feeling like I heard this thought in my head the moment I got sentenced saying this is for a reason. And so 
went to prison thinking they're going to be so glad they sent me there. I love people. I love these kind of people. And I'm going to save all of them, not necessarily for the Lord, but I'm going to fix them all uh, because that was my other addiction was fixing people. Never works out. Um, But got there and I was like, yeah, I don't want to fix anyone. I just want to get home and not get beat up. Um, But met amazing women. And when I heard their stories, most of them weren't from the same kind of background I was from. And so I left with a real burden, especially when they said seven out of 10 of you are coming back. I'm like, well, then what you're doing is not working. (laughs) You know, it's not working. So Left there with a burden, and within six months, I was right back in my addiction. And I was a mom, and I was on probation for five years. I had all the reason, all the things that we judge about people in that situation going, why don't you just quit? Like, you could go back to prison. Why don't you just quit? Um, I really got to understand what addiction was really about and how I couldn't just quit. And so um, I asked the Lord about that. Like, why did you send me there if? You know, it didn't change my life. I wasn't living for the Lord by any means. Well, there's such a long story behind that. But I was pretty sure I was going to hell at that point. I didn't understand God's grace. Um, and so I was I was like, oh, you know, what was this about if he said it was for a reason? And that night he showed me I could see a wing of the prison in my mind. And I had these thoughts that said, you're going to figure out how to get set free. And when you do, you'll take that back. And so... Ten years later, I got set free from my addiction through a course that we have at our church called Oaks of Righteousness, and it was kind of an inner healing course. Uh, so when I went through that class and got set free, I'm like, okay, we got to take this back. And so God just opened doors, and eventually we did have, he gave us a ministry that was already existed, but it was a wing of the prison, and it lined up just with that vision that I'd had ten years prior. So, um, so our thing is we want people to get set free from their childhood stuff. I mean, God doesn't make criminals. We're all made in his image. And so there is a a moment in life where pain happens or love gets taken away and we start to believe lies about ourselves that lead to these things. So we got to go back to that root stuff. And so that's what we do as a prison ministry is um, we help people get to that stuff so they can get, so they can get their identity in the right place and start living the way God has created them to live. I'm loving this image that someone spoke over you, seven out of 10 of you return here, and they tried to say that over you is like a, a curse, mm-hmm. and you came back in a sense of blessing to bless other people. And it's like, <laughs> I just love that they, they tried to throw that at you in a negative way, and you somehow said, I'm going to come back, but I'm going to change these people, and I'm going to serve the Lord when I come back into this place. Mm-hmm. Um, so you said we... I'm guessing when you say we, you're talking about the organization you work for. What is that organization? Was it an organization when you were first starting? How did you develop into who's the we? Who's the we? Yeah, when I say we, I do refer to Beauty for Ashes ministry. Um, So part of uh, part of that journey moving forward was I got out of my first marriage, which was a, a hot mess. I was a hot mess in that marriage. I mean, I don't blame my ex, but we were both addicts and we were both unfaithful spouses, and and things got worse before they got better, but. Finally, I ended up at, back in church, and I met my husband, who I'm married to now, and uh, told him on the first date, I'm going to do prison ministry someday. And he's like, good for you. I'm not going to prison. <laughs> I'm like, oh. And so the second date, I'm like, small problem. I'm still an addict, and I'm still getting high every week or every day, every, every few hours, really, at that point. And so um, he stuck with me, and it, we went through that class together. But then 
so when I was, it was time for me to start serving again. I got pregnant. We got married and I got pregnant right away. So I took a year off and then it was time to start serving back in the church. And, you know, um, and he reminded me, you said you always wanted to do prison ministry. So the Lord opened the doors, but we founded Beauty for Ashes together. So it, it's our organization that we're founders of. Um, so when I refer to the we, we have a lot of volunteers. I mean, I tell people all the time, the Bible is clear. We are supposed to visit those in prison. So our heart is to open an opportunity for people to answer that call that the Lord has put for all Christians. I mean, if you go to that verse, you actually find out he's actually going to judge us against whether or not we're serving the least of these. Um, and so we want to make sure everyone has an opportunity. If they feel like they want to go to prison to do it, they can serve the homeless. They can serve, you know, people in the hospital. There's a whole bunch of people on that list. But. I was wondering about the individuals in prison and how many are open to listening to what you have to say, what others have to say. I, I wrote down, I see criminals and I am conflicted. Um, I, I think I've realized, and someone brought this to my attention not too long ago, that now that I am working in the church and developing my relationship with the Lord, I've always had compassion and empathy. I do. Like, mm -hmm. I'm to a fault. That's really? Wired. Yes. Yeah. But now I'm starting to see things where instead of immediately going, that person is awful. Like, I see this news story, and this they screwed up over and over and over and over and over again because this had happened recently. And I just remember watching the TV and going, there has to be hope. But... Maybe there isn't for some. I don't know. It, it just, like, I feel almost judged by people that would say, how can you say, like, how can you say that? And it's like, well, but I don't know. Only God knows. I want to give this person a chance, even as wrong and horrific as something may be. But I also have to think that there probably are people, too, that just, they're, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Will they see the Lord? I don't, I'm just very conflicted. So I would say that's the same inside of a prison as it is inside, well, I'd say Walmart, but some people might think that's the same level. I don't know. But Target. inside a Target. There we go. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I love people watching. I like going to Walmart. Um, but yeah, so it doesn't matter where you're at. Is there hope for any of us? And it really is a free will decision for all of us, right? Um, at the same time, you'd be surprised who's in prison. Running a prison ministry, I talk to a lot of people who, and I speak at churches all over the place, um, in all sorts of different neighborhoods, and they'll come up and say, my my daughter's in prison. My, I mean, there's always a family member. So people are more connected to people in prison than you would be surprised. Um, you know, whether it's a family member that's an addict or the person themselves that says, I'm only one decision away, or I'm, I just didn't get caught. So I think the stuff that leads to someone going to prison is it's not just for people in poverty. It's not just for um, lower class or anything like that. It, it is, it is a, uh, it's a sin issue, and it is an a issue of choice, but it's also an issue of um, we all have the same enemy on the same mission. And I, this is what I tell people. It is not easy to fundraise for a prison ministry because of this mindset of like, no, they've done a crime. They need to be locked away, yada, yada, yada. 
So I always say, you know what, what I, what if I came to you and I said, Hey, I'm raising money for an organization that serves children. And these are children that are abused. Um, They've been raised in drug addicted homes. They've been sexually abused. They've been physically abused. Um, And we're coming in and we're helping them have a voice and we're saving them from that, that circumstance or that situation. Absolutely. We want to put our money behind that. That is who we're serving. And we're helping these adults who 100% were raised in that home, whether it was in a good neighborhood or bad. That is the, the story of most of the people that are in prison. We're helping them have a voice to go and forgive the persons that hurt them and to start realizing they have worth and they have value because God created them in his image. And he, because Jesus paid the highest price, that gives them value and worth. And once they can see that as their truth, it changes everything. I think that the the gospel's message is one of God wants to recreate us, not punish us. I mean, that that is exactly why Jesus came. He mm-hmm. could have punished us, and he said, I would rather reform you and recreate you um, and work on your heart and change you because I love you so much I want to spend f- eternity with you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I, I was thinking too, Jill, about your question. And I just reminded of, Paul in 1 Corinthians, he says, uh, I've become all things to all people so that I might reach some. Mm-hmm. I try to remind me of myself that he finishes off by saying, so that I might reach some, in the sense that he knows that he's going to put in a lot of work that won't return the fruit he would have liked to see. Because yeah, of free will. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. He's like, there's going to be people that reject my message. Mm-hmm. I'm going to become all things to all people, and a lot of them might reject me, yet I'm still putting in the work to reach them because this is my calling and this is honestly, I think Paul just saw it as this is who I am now. You know, there's wasn't this separation between is Paul a Christian and is he someone who goes to reach the lost? I think he said, I'm a Christian. Therefore I got to go reach these people and do whatever it takes. And so that's a, a, a point of grace. I try to put on myself too as someone in ministry that you're going to put work into people, and it doesn't matter how much work you put in, some will reject you, but you do it for the joy of the people who are who are there. And so, I don't know, Gina, I'm like, I, I guess <laughs> it's probably maybe helpful to say, yeah, so I'm going to go in and I'm going to expect some rejection, but I'm also expecting the Spirit to, to move in unexpected ways yeah. too. Well, and I, so most of what we do, like our program that was in the prison full-time. That's where I met Jessica. She served with us. We do not have that program going right now because of COVID. It, it shut down and then we didn't end up coming back. Um, but it was a volunteer program. No one was required to go. Um, and you didn't even have to have a relationship with Jesus to come to the program, but you had to know we're going to talk about Jesus. People signed up for all the wrong reasons and sometimes, um, you know, because it would give you a chance to get moved to our wing. And if you had a friend that you wanted to live on the same wing, you could both sign up for the program. But let me tell you, I went to youth camp for all the wrong reasons, <laughs> but I met Jesus uh-huh. there. Yeah. You know, I mean, I went to youth camp because I wanted to beat the boys there or whatever <laughs> else. Um, but but that it was in those experiences that laid the foundation that I came back to. So I always say, I don't care why you show up. I don't care if you come to our events in the prison because we give out food and whatever else. You're going to have an opportunity to hear the gospel, and that's great. And if you don't receive it, um, I pray that maybe I planted a seed that someone else will get to water, and maybe someone else will... It's up to the Lord for the increase, but 
maybe someone else will get to witness that. But I think we all play a journey, whether you're in the prison or not. I mean, I just think that that's part of following Jesus is loving God and loving others. Yeah. The other thing that I, I try to remind myself of, and you can speak more into this, but how many of these people you're encountering are people who are, we'll just say, they're just evil in a, in a vacuum. They're just, they're wrong, and no one else had any influence on them, versus how many are people who you might label them at first as someone of, oh, they're, they're wrong, they're bad. But when you hear their story, it's, oh, they had all these influences on them in their home or in their communities that are they in prison? Yes, but are they also a victim on some level? Or, or Great question. I don't want to say That's, any more, yeah. but I'll let, I, I think mean, you know what I'm asking. I totally do, and I it just comes back down to – are we all created in God's image? The answer is yes. <laughs> and so something has to happen for someone to go from that to being pure evil. And it 100% comes down to having an enemy, right, mm-hmm. And that we're in a spiritual battle um, and that the enemy is on a mission to steal, kill, and destroy. But then there's a story behind that. that you just don't go from being created in God's image coming out and then to pure evil. I. I, I did by uh, the pastor of the church that um, I'm on staff with. He's not the pastor there now. But anyway, we had a conversation about Charles Manson. And he was like, I feel like he is just, there's no hope for him. And I was like, I don't know. I just, I would love to meet him and like yeah. to be able to like go, let's talk. Like, I mean, is there some demonic stuff happening there that you'd probably have to use the name of Jesus to deal with? Possibly. Probably, um, but that's because it's a spiritual battle. But we fight from a place of victory, so there can I feel like there could be victory in anyone's life if they choose that direction. I just don't think that there's anyone that was created that way, and there's hope for all of us to be transformed. That's one of the stories Jess shares with me is the more you get to know people who've been there, the less... <laughs> the more empathy you have for them. You know, the mm-hmm. closeness creates the empathy. The more you know the stories, it creates empathy. Mm-hmm. And um, just stories about people who they're there because they had to do something illegal to stop someone who's doing something even worse to them or to their families. And it's like, oh, so they had to pick, say, between protecting their kid in a certain way or letting their kid continue to be in a terrible situation. I'm like, like that, that breaks my heart for them. And, and that, and, um, I've only heard those, those stories, you know, through, through her experience, but, uh, it's just a reminder too that you were saying this, like the enemy is not really the flesh and blood. It's, it's the forces of, of Satan that are, working on us in so many ways that we don't always understand. And maybe that's other, if I don't understand that, I can't have grace for people. But when I see that, it's like, Oh God, like there's, you know, (laughs) Uh, I I also thought about what you said that some of these, you've met all these people who've said, I just got lucky. The only reason I'm out there is because I just got lucky. And I'm like, yeah, I've gotten lucky in my life too. Mm -hmm, You know, mm -hmm. Uh, if I had gotten caught doing something that I shouldn't have been doing, I could have been yeah. put into a, you know, yeah. uh, who knows? I'm just, I'm reminded that just because I'm lucky doesn't mean I'm somehow better than these other people yeah. around me. 
And, you know, so I ended up in prison, <laughs> which does surprise people when they, you know, be, not that, you know, but I mean, it's a surprising story, especially if you know my family and, you know, you kind of know my story. But even in that, so I grew up in a church, but I grew up in, in church in a time where I would say it was more legalistic. Um, we weren't talking about God's grace so much. And I grew up in a church where it felt like there was an inner and out mm, and that you mm-hmm. could lose your salvation. I didn't know where the cutoff was, um, but um, I grew up in a good Christian family, but my dad traveled for work and he hates it when I tell the story because he feels like I'm blaming him, but I'm not, I'm telling, I'm saying his absence in our home made you go just, I mean, you do it on a subconscious level of I will do anything to get a guy to stick around because you just want that safety and security that comes because we're supposed to get it from the Lord, but the enemy starts to lie to you about where your value and your worth comes from. Super busy. He comes home on the weekends. He's got to do the yard work and everything else to get things caught up because he's gone. Dad, I just want you to see me. The enemy starts to lie to you about your value and worth. So what do I do? 14, I start having sex. Growing up in a legalistic church. This is the stuff that you're going to go to hell with. This is the, and the shame that comes from that. So you can take even the best situation, but that just shows you how, and always comes down to value and worth, and always comes down to love. I'm looking for love in all the wrong places. I've got this God-sized hole, and I'm going to turn to anything else to either make up for the fact that I've been rejected or to numb the pain from the fact that I've been rejected. And... Um, we all have that story. You can look at your own lives and go, okay, yeah, that hits that hits a little home for me. I could kind of see that in my own life. We all that have that story. It gets worse when when these kids had no one to protect them. I mean, I can't tell you how many women, and you know, not every one of them has this story, but I've met quite a few whose parents, in their own addiction, in their own mess, because it's a generational curse, generational sin. <laughs> prostituted out their kids for to pay for their drugs it's human trafficking but it's happening in our communities here in missouri by parents that are in a big old mess and that leads to i mean talk about the pain and talk about thinking you have no value and worth and what you will do to to feel loved or to numb that leads to prison oftentimes (laughs) well and you know, this was a conversation that I had with Pastor Jim Mueller. When you mentioned Charles Manson, we had a conversation about um, we had done a worship series at the church that I work at called Offended by Mercy. And he very much talked about Jeffrey Dahmer and how one sin isn't bigger than another sin. Mm-hmm. And that's a very hard concept. And so as I'm thinking about someone who may be listening who is like no Gina this and and you mentioned it too Ryan like that this is what they did they need to pay how do you address that with those people Uh, whether it's a misdemeanor drug felony I don't even know if I'm even using the right words to uh, a robbery or even a murder like there is hope for everyone, but I know that there is someone listening right now saying, no, no, that murder is not in the same category as a carjacking. Yeah. So I would, I've never said no one doesn't need to pay for the crime because I think if you, there is laws for a reason. We're told in the Bible to submit to authority, to, to follow the laws of the land. And if you break them, there's accountability. If you get caught, there is a price you have to pay for that. Um, 
And I think there's a reason that Jesus says, go visit those in prison, um, because he knows the brokenness that leads to that. So I'm not saying that price shouldn't be paid, but I'm saying he calls us there to bring hope to those people for a reason and to stop that cycle. We have to show up in that place and bring hope and bring the gospel and bring truth um, so that that cycle can be broken. Um, But yeah, even now, I mean, I don't even understand my, my son who is on his own journey um, was saying, you know, mom, your crime, I don't, I didn't end up with a felony charge, which is a blessing, but I could have. And right now it could have gotten expunged because they just legalized marijuana. I'm like, that makes no sense to me because it was against the law when I broke that law. I mean, there was a reason I should have paid that price. So I think that there, I think it's true. Someone breaks the law, but that, but there's got to be hope for them to, to be able to change their life. And if you just throw them in there, there are programs in the prison, but the state is not bringing Jesus. And if, you're, if you've experienced it, you know Jesus truly is the only answer. Not to say people haven't gotten sober with AA and NA and things that will allow you to pick your higher power. You can, you can find hope and freedom, but I'm just telling you, it happens a lot faster <laughs> in a relationship with Jesus when you find the one thing that you truly were created to fill that hole in your heart mm-hmm. and to get your identity from and your value and your worth from. It changes everything. You know, actually, I was going to say this earlier. You were talking about the transformation that happens. The, the word says in Romans, I think it's 12 too. I'm really bad with addresses. I always say, ask Google if you don't know. <laughs> she knows the whole Bible. But, um, so Google, what is the verse about becoming a new um, being transformed. So don't conform to the ways of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, which is changing your belief system. So if I change my belief system that I no longer am a pot, for me, it was, I'm not a pothead. I I call myself a pothead all the time. I was a unfaithful wife. I was a terrible mom who was getting high and my kids were hanging out in front of the TV while I ran to the garage to smoke weed. You know, I could tell you all the terrible things about myself. But that's not who God says I am. So I had to change the way I thought about that. And when I changed the way I thought to, okay, I'm a child of God. I'm perfectly and wonderfully made with a purpose. Everything that the Bible says, when you change that belief system to truth, I became a new creation. I'm no longer the person that's doing all those things because I now understand that's not who I am. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually, I mean, we got a, a big overview of how you of your whole story just earlier, but I, I want to know what, was there a moment that the realization you just said, how did you get there? So this class Oaks of Righteousness, which was the class that, <laughs> that I knew God had said, you're going to figure it out and then you'll take that back. Um, what we do in that class is the first few weeks is just learning about spiritual strongholds, meaning learning about the moments where the enemy came in and stuck and, you know, stuck some, whatever it would be in the ground, claimed this part in my life. Um, So that happens through unforgiveness. It happens through um, holding on to rights. Like I have a right to to having changed my past or I have a right to this future. It happens through um, pride, self-pity, performance orientation. So we teach on all of these things, showing areas. um, And there's teaching also and just kind of identifying, okay, when this happened, I started to believe this lie. When this happened, I started to believe this lie. But then what we do halfway through that class is we went through prayer ministry. So I went through this class, and in my prayer ministry, I literally sat down and said, I will tell you. So you tell your life story, and then someone helps you pray through these things. So I'm like, I don't know why I'm so screwed up, because honestly, I come from a great home. So I tell my whole story, and it was there um, that the leader said, "Um, did your dad travel a lot, or was your dad gone a lot? And I was like, yeah, that was a big part of my life. 
And he said, do you think you believe the lie that I have to give myself away to have value and worth or to, and because it, it came out in codependence, it came out in sex, it came out in anything and everything. And so for me, I had to go and they just walked us through. It was nothing major, but you take things through the cross. So I just had to pray and say, Lord, I forgive my dad for not making me a priority. I forgive um, the church for not showing me grace. I, you know, I had to go through forgiveness. So I just prayed through forgiveness. I relinquished my right to change the past and I break the lie. And here's the thing. We have power to break lies that we've believed and replace it with truth. So I break the lie that I'm a pothead. I break the lie that I am, you know, um, a terrible mom, that I can never be faithful. I break the lie that my value and worth comes from the, the attraction of, of men because it was such a problem for me. Like, if any guy would look at me, like, and I could tell that he was attracted to me, well, psh, most guys are attracted to any woman. It didn't really mean anything about me, but I would take it as, oh, he loves me. He wants to be with me. You know, I mean, just that brokenness in me. So I had to break all those lies. And in that prayer time, then it was, and Lord, I replace it with the, the truth from your word. And there's something when you pray to the Lord and you get this revelation of that truth that it changes you. And so it was just going through that prayer time that did it. I don't know. I, it sounds so simple and it really is that simple. Um, but that was the marker moment for me that started to walk that out. Now, do I, am I perfect in it? No. Do I have moments where I start to say terrible things about myself? Yeah. Take those thoughts captive and submit them to what, to be obedient to what the word says. And that's how you fight that battle. So it wasn't the harsh judgment of prison that changed no. you. It was the presence of humans who cared about you in the midst of that that changed you. Yes. So <laughs> then if we, we maybe then shouldn't assume that prison's so bad that it'll do its job and it'll fix these people. It didn't fix me. I, I came right back into my addiction. I stayed away from church because I thought you had to be perfect to go there. Yep. Had a grandma. I mean, I'm like... Seven years into this addiction, I'm having affairs on my husband, my my ex husband. I lived in her house, so she saw it, and I'm smoking weed in her basement, so I'm sure she can smell it through the fence. Um, but um, she saw everything that was going on. She's like, Gina, you just need it. You need to go back to church. I'm like, Grandma, I want to go, but you got, I can't get myself together for that. And she's like, Gina, you need to raise your kids in church, which I really wanted. I wanted a different life. I wanted a different marriage. I wanted a different family. So I show up to this church, and. Um, Within a few weeks, I have a conversation with one of the pastors. Well, one, I showed up to the church, and uh, it didn't burn down. That was a good sign. <laughs> and, so, and then and then I realized, I looked around, I'm like, everyone else looks just as screwed up as I do. So that's cool. Um, and then had a conversation with one of the pastors. I was, ser I was serving in children's church, and he was talking to the kids about sin. He was talking about baptism, but he was talking about sin and, you know, what, um, how we— all have sin in our lives and I'm like bawling and I was serving in like four different services we had four services I served in all of them because I was trying to get my identity and what I did mm. and um and so he calls me on Monday and he's like Gina what's going on you cried a lot during and so that I told him I'm like I haven't told you but I'm still smoking weed I got high on my way to church and he's like okay is that all I'm like yes so I'm waiting for him to say get it together like they did when I was growing up and he said Gina the church is not a country club it's a hospital so we're all coming broken to meet the one that heals us. This is a character issue, and God is going to deal with that. And then he mentioned, you might want to take Oaks of Righteousness, which I avoided for three years because it took me a while to – I always say 51% of you needs to want to change because I can tell you 49% yeah. of me wanted to change so long. The whole time I wanted a different life. 
but it wasn't until I got to the 51% that I finally said yes to walking that through that. This might sound like a silly question, but when you talk about that course, I mean, is that something you don't have to have something major in your life to do something like that, right? That's exactly right. I mean, I, t- I was just telling the folks that I have a whole bunch of people taking it right now um, that signed up for it because they're serving in the prison ministry and not all of them had a story of addiction and stuff. I'm like, trust me, you were going through this course because we all have an enemy. And this is just teaching you how to identify. It all comes down to the lies and truth, right? Because Jesus is truth and he is love. And the enemy is fear and he is lies. <laughs> and those that's really the battle. It comes down to perfect love, cast out fear, and truth will break the lies. And if we can just get ourselves in that place, we all have a battle with that. Everyone needs, and not everyone has to have this course, but everyone needs to find truth and get their mm-hmm. love, get their value and worth from this love from God. I know you can't see my hands pointing up, but <laughs> that's yeah. where they're going. <laughs> All right. I'm going to ask you a question that would be really helpful for me in ministry. So it's completely, uh, <laughs> uh, I could use some advice. How do you balance? It sounds like there was a, an understanding of, uh, maybe this is true in your in your ministry too, like confronting that the wrong things you did were wrong, but the gospel says that you're loved and forgiven. I mean, it feels like sometimes we lean very heavy into the just admit that you're wrong, um, but we're not going to promise you the gospel, and we lean too heavy into the you're loved, you're forgiven. In fact, even the things you did wrong weren't really that bad. Did you need both to be transformed yourself or is that what you're trying to do with your women in prison or how how does that balance work I guess so I I think it is um I think this is things that divide denominations so I I think until we get to heaven we're not really gonna know and we're all gonna go we were all Mm -hmm. wrong a little bit but what from my experience um because I, I went from the 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 legalistic message of now you've screwed up too much. You mm-hmm. didn't. You were wrong, and now you're not in, so to speak. Mm-hmm. At least that's what the enemy lied to me about because mm-hmm. he didn't want me to be in. Um, to the grace message, and then I was like, oh, wait, but grace doesn't expect a heart change. Grace says you put your faith in Jesus, and you're saved, and that is true. That is in the Bible, and the gospel says that. If you know, Believe it in your heart and confess it with your mouth. But what the Holy Spirit does and what the Bible is very clear about is That true relationship, if you truly believe that, then you're in a relationship with Jesus. And in that relationship, you're spending time with him. You're in his word. You're not just checking a box that you're going to church on Sunday. You're not, you know, you are truly 100% in this relationship, and you can't help but be transformed through that. And then you start to hate that sin. Then you start to not want to do it, not because it's a right or wrong. It's because... The Lord transforms the way you think. I mean, then you do become a new creation. It's all spelled out there. Um, and do I understand if there's um, how God judges the heart? No, I don't think any of us do. Um, but I do think, I think the transformation comes through the relationship. And I think that's what we push. We push love and we push um, that loving kindness will draw you to repentance. And that repentance is a change in believing in Jesus and then and then saying, hey, this is you. I don't even call myself a Christian because there's such like, I don't even, I call myself a follower of Jesus because I follow Jesus. And I not only follow him, I hang out with him. 
And uh, as my son taught me when, when he was seven and he was praying, and he said, I prayed a lot last night to my, my mom. And she said, oh, this is when I was going through my divorce. So she's like, oh, I bet you were. What were you praying about? And he's like, oh, I was telling him knock-knock jokes. I'm like, that's the kind of relationship yeah. I want to have with Jesus. I want to tell you yeah. knock-knock jokes. Yeah. I want to, like, do life with you. And I think when we do that, it changes us from the inside out. This is making me think about that question I asked before we came on. Um, I think about these women you're serving. I think about your story. And I show up to church on a Sunday, and when, when those thoughts come to me, I wonder, is this a place where someone who's been there in that situation would feel welcomed and loved? And then I realized, well, I don't know what they're looking for in a church, and I don't, I, I don't have an answer. Um, so for those uh, in our audience who go to churches, who, who are church leaders, whatever their positions are, uh, whether you're a leader in your church in a staff sense or you're just attending, we all have voices on some level, right? What does it look like to have a church where someone who's been in your shoes could come in and feel welcome and loved and not judged and not rejected. And what do we do about that? (laughs) So, um, I think it's, I think it is the message of grace that causes people to live authentically. And I think it takes leadership being super authentic. Um, and I think if I feel like if a if leadership is not being really authentic um, and transparent, then it puts on the message. Then we all need to kind of keep keep a a mask on. Um, but true grace says, take off your mask. True grace says you can come as you are. You can be as honest as you are. You're going to be loved, and that love is going to change you. So go ahead and show up the way you are. So I think that that's what it comes down to. I don't know. I don't know this church. I don't know what mm-hmm. churches people are going to. Um, but I tell the ladies, find a good church home and find one that's serving others, like that is, you know, that has ministries that are going out, that are feeding the poor, that are taking care of the, of the least of these, because that is a requirement. Um, and then find ones that ideally have like a celebrate recovery. And, and I'm telling you, the church I'm in, suburb. I mean, we're mm-hmm. in the suburbs, We but... Yeah. But we are serving um, these kind of people. And our Celebrate Recovery is filled with all upper middle class people. So I'm telling you, it's not just, it is in every area of life. Just because someone hasn't gone to prison doesn't mean they're not struggling with the exact same things that people in prison are or don't have stories. You'd be surprised. I got up on stage. I was teaching a message. I am a pastor, too, and I um, am on our communications team. So I was teaching a message on grace, and that's where the first time I shared about my affairs. Because I had shared about going to prison, but I that was the one thing because I had an affair with one of my closest friends, fiance or whoever it was. They weren't married, but I never wanted to be that person. And that was the story of shame that I had the hardest time ever saying. And I was well into being a pastor before I ever really said it out loud. I mean, my husband that I'm married to now knows about it. My ex-husband knows about it, but... Um, but I shared that from the stage, and I'm telling you, you could hear a pin drop. <laughs> mm-hmm. But afterwards, the line of people that stood up and talked to me in this upper middle class church that looks pretty suburbanite, <laughs> um, that talked to me about their addiction issues and talked to me about their infidelities and their broken marriages was so long. And they're like, thank you for being a pastor that would be admit, willing to admit these things. And I think that's what it takes. And that's one of the things that I just wrote down well into this conversation 
that you're so joyful, you're so normal, <laughs> and that we need people to speak like you. We need people to bring these hard truths up. And it is one of those things that sometimes you are fed all these different lies or you just don't understand scripture. Uh, it's me. Like, I'm like, I don't understand what they're asking me to do here. And so we just have to, I'm not saying simplify it, but in a way, yes, simplify it. Just state it so I understand. Do you know what Jesus did to simplify it? He said, love the Lord your God with all yeah. your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor yeah. as yourself. It all comes down to that. We don't have to make it harder than that. But to love my neighbor as myself, i got to start loving myself, and then I've got to stop judging. <laughs> I mean, yeah. ultimately, right? Stop having preconceptions, at least. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm thinking about your parameters you give to your girls, and I'm like, those are are good. <laughs> and I think it would be good for churches to be more public about how they're sending because that's what people are seeing, right? Mm -hmm. Are you going out and loving and caring for people that don't look like you or that aren't in your building yet or already yeah. because they're not in your building yet or already, and they might not look or act like you, but if they can see that, oh, they're open enough to love and be present in the lives of those that aren't there yet and that might not look like them. So that means maybe I can belong there too. Yeah. Um, maybe it comes down to churches, you know, I'm thinking how can we better celebrate the ways we're in the lives of those, of others like that. Um, and the other reason I say that is because even though I was, like I, I always say, a hot mess when I showed up to my church. I mean, I was I was still in my addiction, and I was getting high on the way there, and I was hiding so many things until I realized I'm going to be super honest about it, <laughs> and um, and I can be, and people are going to love on me through it. But my so much of my growth came from being having opportunities to serve. And there's a lot of churches that really the pastors do everything and there's no opportunity for the people in the church to do anything. Um, thankfully, our church's motto was every member is a minister. So every member, you need to be doing something. You need to be serving in coffee or being a greeter or, or serving outside of the church and going and, you know, we have a food pantry, all those things. But it was doing those things that was my discipleship process. It was doing the things that Jesus did that, changed my heart to be more like Jesus. So that's why I'm like, ladies, you've got to go do these things because mm -hmm. that's how you're going to grow to be more like Christ mm -hmm. is to do the things of Christ. Yeah, and I'm completely convicted. Like, I want to know how I can help right now. And so I think that that's what we need to know before we wrap this up is what can we do? How can we help? I mean, I'm ready. <laughs> well, um, so so I would say, so I'm on the other side of the state from um, where I live, but we have, a, so in Troy, Missouri, if you're listening from the east side of the state, I don't know how far your reach goes, but when I say state Missouri, um, we have a recovery center in Troy, Missouri. Um, we moved our program outside of the prison because a couple of reasons. Um, I had a lot of people say, my, my kid needs that program. My daughter needs that program. I'm like, you don't want her to go to my program because you don't want your daughter to have to go to prison to get into it. Um, but we also moved it out because we had a judge in the area that said he brought together probation and parole. He brought together all the state agencies. And then he brought together some churches. He was, he's Catholic. He follows Jesus. And he said, okay, probation and parole, what are your issues? And they listed a whole bunch of issues they had with getting people transformed and they said okay churches how can you meet that need and we're like wow i mean we were there's a ministry um, but he said if you would 
provide answers to these problems, I will send people to your answers instead of sending them to prison. And that's when we're like, okay, we're going to put something in the community then. And he does. I mean, he will call from... (laughs) He will have someone on the stand, and he's like, okay, I'm about to send this woman to prison, but she's willing to do something that focuses on Jesus. She doesn't believe in him, but she said she'd go to it. Uh, will you take her? And Denise is like, send her my way. And so um, so that's why we have it. So we're in Troy. We need volunteers from that. Um, we have opportunities to serve in the women's prison in Vandalia through a partnership with another ministry that's serving there called Broken and Beautiful. Um, they're helping a lot with reentry, so they're connecting with these women and working with them on the outside. Um, and of course, I would not be doing my job if I didn't say we can't do any of this without people moving God's um, pocketbooks. Yeah. <laughs> Move your heart, which then flows through your wallet. Um, and supporting financial support is another thing that all of all of the ministries that are doing this are only doing it because God moves hearts. Is there a website we should direct people to? Yes. So we have, um, it's Beauty for Ashes Ministry. So it's bfa-ministry.org. And that will connect you to all the all the things that we do and ways to give. And I will have this posted at the show notes at normalgoesalongway.com. And we'll make sure that people know how to get a hold of you, yeah, how to follow along. Yeah, and we'll get we'll we'll send you to the prison. If you're on the Kansas City side, um, we we have stuff that we do over there in the prisons locally there too. Oh, I'm glad I know your story now, Gina. uh, I'm glad Jessica has you. It's been mm. fun to see you guys come together. She was our youngest volunteer, 18 years old, with such a mature spirit, such Mm -hmm. a love for the Lord. And that girl can preach. (laughs) She's awesome. Yeah, and it it was fun to watch her and and Jane and their ministry develop out of, they would have this long drive, and then God started putting dreams in their hearts of the things they were going to do, and it was fun to watch so my heart is, I want everyone to figure out your dreams because the Lord gives you the desires of your heart. So this all started from him giving me a dream however many years ago. It took that many years to fr- come to fruition. That goes for the people that we serve and the people that serve with us. We just want to see everyone walk out God's plans for their lives. Thanks for being on the side of the gospel and reforming and recreating people. I needed to hear that. So, oh, well, Thank you for inviting me to be a part of this. Guys are pretty special people. <laughs> you can tell. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I just love your. I love your honesty too. Like you're, you you sound like you're new into this, and you don't give yourself enough credit oh. to know that you're growing and learning every day, and you're helping other people be honest in that too. Which is thank great. you, thank you. All right, normalgoesalongway.com. You will get all the information. Let's help these women. Let's help others too. So thank you so much. Yeah.